Can't get anything else done. Might as well try it, right? Escapingthecave.com. Also on Facebook and at ETC Pod on Twitter. Escaping the cave. And I'm getting really sick of guys named Todd. Zilla X-Pod. Tonzilla X-Pod. Howdy, Tonzilla Files. Welcome to another episode of Escaping the Cave on the ChristopherMedia.net network. Also, EscapingTheCave.com. And that is my website. You can find me, apparently. <laughs> Didn't know this. You guys could have told me. <sighs> on just about every podcatcher in existence. I'm out there. All you got to do is look for me. So I don't have to start mentioning all these things today. That's awesome. Give me on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, the rest of them. If you have a favorite podcatcher, I'm on it. One of the benefits, I guess, of doing one of these things for three, four, five years, even if I'm not really doing it all that often, or taking a year off. Huh. Seriously, you guys could have told me this. It would have saved me a lot of hassle. It's been a few days since the last podcast. It's been 10 days since I've done one of these, at least 10 days, since I've recorded anything. That's the downside of having guests, that you can break episodes up into three different ones. You know what I mean? We recorded that a week ago Tuesday. I got three episodes out of it. The last one was uploaded on Monday. Uh, Today's Friday, June 21st, 2019, by the way. And I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I have, I said this the last time, I got a bunch of stuff. I always say I got a bunch of stuff. I've got a wad here. I've been collecting material. Even though I'm not recording, I keep collecting and collecting and collecting material. And now I've got a stack of it, and I don't know what the hell to do with it. I don't know how to, how to coordinate all this stuff and put it all together, but I got to get something out. This is ridiculous. So I'm just sitting down, and I'm going to try to, Try to wing it again today. Sometimes that works and uh, sometimes, well, it doesn't. <laughs> we'll find out today. I want to say hi to New Zealand. Uh, I have gotten a spike in my New Zealand downloads this week, <laughs> which is nice. Uh, I do appreciate it. Hello, I'm surprised to hear the news. New Zealand has an internet uh, service down there. But hey, it's a new age. <laughs> Just picking on you. Uh, thanks for clicking over. Uh, also, uh, yeah, the podcast in and of itself growing nicely, steadily. Uh, so glad to see that. And once again, I want to repeat that uh, you, you folks, are my marketing team. You're my branding team. You're the ones that uh, spread this around. All I do, and this is a good place, I guess, to start out today, uh, is I go on to Twitter solely to upload podcasts or Solely to share podcasts, right? Uh, I try to do the same thing on Facebook. And I've noticed this week, again, I've noticed this before, more times than I care to recollect, that when I sit down and I start sharing these things, I've got to do this because I'm not paying like a service. I am not going to pay Hootsuite 30 bucks a month to post crap to Twitter and to Facebook. So i got to come into this damn computer. Because I don't have the apps on my phone, you see. If you've been listening, you understand that. So i got to commit to this damn computer every couple hours to upload something. Or to not upload. Damn it. Quit saying upload. To post or to share something to a social media account so I can reach you folks. Via something other than Google anyway, right? And I find myself scrolling, getting sucked into this shit again and again and again. And pretty soon I'm like, oh, Twitter. 
I think that's half the reason that I haven't been able to get anything done. I, I come in to sit down and I find myself, oh, I got to market. I got to spread it. I got to. And then suddenly whatever, I don't know, inspiration, whatever focus I had when I walked into the room is gone. <sighs> Okay, I'll do it tomorrow. I can't do that anymore. I've been doing that enough. Too much. So I'm going to sit down and I'm going to probably ramble and bramble around trying to figure out something to talk about today, but i got to get this done. And this social media stuff, I'm telling you, again, destroying focus, destroying concentration, your ability to concentrate and focus on one single thing. It's too damn easy to get distracted with this stuff. It's terrible. I keep, I, I talk about it. I mention it. I go in and I dissect it and I say, you should do this and you should do this. It's hard as shit, man. It's, it's nearly impossible. If you have anything that you're trying to put forth on the internet, it's nearly impossible not to get sucked into this distraction shit. And you don't even realize it. And then all of a sudden you're back looking at politics again. And you're looking at this and that. Oh my God, why am I doing this? I don't know. It's it's like a tar pit. I feel like a damn dinosaur running around La Brea a few million years ago. Oh, my foot's so... Oh, I'm sinking. Hey, uh, help, help. I got to climb out of here. Throw me a rope. Throw me that vine, Tarzan. Come on. It's ridiculous. It really is. But what are you supposed to do? You know, if you have a podcast or you got anything else you got going on, it's uh, been internet-based, or you got a business. I, I was doing this with the photography thing, too. I found the same thing when I was doing my photography stuff. I had to take the Facebook page down because I was spending more time trying to share my stuff with people to get it out there, to, so people know it's there, then I was actually performing the task of photography. Then I was actually creating the art. I was spending so much more time trying to get it in front of people. And the same thing happens with the podcast. If I'm not careful, I'll spend a week spreading it, trying to get in front of people, rather than creating anything new. I am not the only one that suffers from this. I know I'm not. It's it's frustrating what this does. And I've mentioned before, a hundred times probably by now, that we don't understand what this technology is doing to us. We are literally, almost, <laughs> cyberspace monkeys. We're doing experiments on ourselves with this tech. And I'm telling you, I'm convinced, and a lot of other people are convinced too, not just me. Lots of studies out there that say that if you isolate yourself off too much electronically and don't get any human contact, if all of your socialization is done via your digital avatar, via the internet, it has an effect on you. Studies are all over the place. Most of them are done on kids, like teenagers. They, they study depression, suicide rates, all that stuff, and they, they sort of correlated with how much time they spend in front of a screen. And they have found a link between teenage depression, suicide rates, and how often you are staring at the damn phone. Or they are staring at the damn phone. I assume I don't have too many teenagers out there. Hi. 
Hope you're well, if I do. That doesn't just apply to teenagers. It can't. In fact, I wonder if it's even worse with people who are not of the generation that grew up with this from birth. I wonder if people who understood what it was like to only socialize with organic human beings once upon a time, except for the telephone, I wonder if moving into this realm and digitizing your social life, I wonder if that leads to some sort of psychological reaction because you know the difference. You've been there. You miss it. You're, 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 you're starving for human contact sometimes. I don't know. I'm asking a question. I suspect it. I mean, if I were a scientist, I were a researcher, I'd want I'd to follow that trail. I want to know what this stuff does to us. I tell you, I, I sit in front of this damn, I have two computer screens in here, and I sit in front of these damn things and start scrolling, getting distracted, getting sucked off into some, no, that didn't sound good, did it? Sucked away into some <laughs> distraction pit. I know what it does to me. I'm going to get into this Andrew Sullivan article at some point. I told you about this, I think, a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks, I don't remember when, but I told you about it. If you listen every week, you know. Uh, but he wrote an article for blah, 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 probably the New Yorker. I don't have it up in front of me. I wasn't planning to talk about it. But he wrote this back in 2016. It had a big effect on me. This is Andrew Sullivan, the writer, the political commentator. He used to be a very prolific, high-profile blogger several years ago. He got in on the ground floor of blogging, and he was big. He was blogging, like, multiple times a day. He was following his his stats, his analytics, and all this stuff, and almost killed him. He found himself depressed. He found himself unable to concentrate, all sorts of things. He eventually decided that he had to get rid of as much as he could because his entire existence professionally is based on the Internet. But he had to get rid of as much of it as he possibly could. He went as far as to go to one of those uh, Buddhist retreats. I think maybe in India. Now it's California. I don't know, but it was somewhere. And it's one of those places where you go and you don't talk for 10 days. You don't say a damn word. Nobody speaks for 10 days. I've heard a lot of people that have done this. I know, I know several people who have gone and done this. And it's life-changing. Because it gets you inside your head. It, it, it eliminates all of the distractions. You can't talk to the guy eating breakfast next to you for 10 days. Think about that. Imagine that. Sounds easy for a minute. It ain't. I haven't done it. I just, I just, I just can't imagine how that could be easy. Anyway, it had a big effect on Sullivan. He was able to kind of reconnect with himself. And scale the stuff back. He realized, I think, by disconnecting, doing the digital detox that I've talked about, and then also getting rid of all the other distractions except for his own mind. What was going on in his mind? It put him back in touch with who he is, his psychology, the inner voice that is running ceaselessly in our heads. Had a, had a huge effect on him. He wrote this big piece. I mean... I'll post it back on the Twitter feed and uh, put it up on the Facebook page. But you should read this. It's fascinating. And it had a huge effect on me in 2016 because I was understanding not only what he was talking about as far as the distraction, the depression, 
anxiety, feeling, you know, when you're scrolling through Facebook, all of a sudden you feel like shit about your own damn life because you're, I don't know why, but it has something to do with scrolling through all this other crap. That's bullshit. It's all bullshit. It's all fabricated bullshit. It's a sanitized version of everything, and you're comparing yourself. Your first draft, you're comparing with somebody else's polished and edited final draft. What they want you to see. Of course it has an effect. Because you're not interpreting it that way. You, you think this is something that somebody just put out there. And they didn't put any sort of you know public relations branding thought into it. I would like people to see me this way. Or I would like people to see me that way. You don't interpret it that way when you're scrolling. You think... They think just like you do, but their life is awesome. That's bullshit, and you know it on some level. How hard is it, though, when you're scrolling through these damn feeds to keep that in mind? Oh, this person's full of shit. This person, yeah, right, whatever. There's this thing that I read a few years ago that ties into depression and anxiety. It's about internal narratives. And if you're constantly dwelling on negative aspects of your life or yourself, your brain doesn't know the difference. Do you understand that? Like if you're having and focusing on negative thoughts and comparing yourselves negatively to other people and their projections, their bullshit facade projections that they put on the internet, your mind doesn't know the difference. Your mind doesn't know it's just a thought, just a narrative just a concoction of your imagination. It experiences these things as if they're really happening, as if they're actually real. So if you keep telling yourself, oh, I'm a loser, I'm blah, 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 your mind it, 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 literally <laughs> believes what you're feeding it. And that sounds weird because it's coming from your mind, right? It is weird. It is really weird. But if you're thinking about bad thoughts, like what could possibly happen? Say you're, you're suffering from anxiety about going, to, I don't know, to a party or something. Well, they're not going to like me. and blah, blah, blah. You, know, you know that kind of thinking. I'm not going to like them. Your brain is experiencing what you're imagining is going to happen as if it actually happened. And it affects your mind just the same as if it actually did happen. And it works the other way, too. Where if you sort of dwell, I guess, on the positive aspect, positive possibilities, it affects your mind the same way. And not that I can do it. I'm not preaching from a pulpit here. I cannot do that. I can't blow smoke and glitter up my butt. Oh, everybody likes me. No, I can't do that. I just can't. If you can, hey, <laughs> well, God bless you. I cannot do that. Anyway, Sullivan to finish the story, he, he came back and he, he pretty much blew up all of his social media accounts. He's still on Twitter. And I don't think he's on Facebook. I've never seen anything from him, from him on Facebook. I don't know about Instagram. I doubt he's on Instagram. But I think Twitter is his one social media outlet of choice. Now, he doesn't interact with anybody. He'll post something. He'll retweet something every now and then. But you got to understand what this guy who Andrew Sullivan is as well, he's one of those guys that I highly, highly, highly respect because he resides somewhere in the middle. He's a gay guy who's a conservative, mostly, and not completely. And he's not a complete liberal either. I don't know what the hell he is, and I love him for that. He's who he is. 
Good luck compartmentalizing him. And therefore, because of that, he pisses everybody off. You talk about being spit-roasted. Go read his uh, Twitter feed sometime. Just the comments. And you understand why the man is not on. He does not engage the rabble on Twitter at all. I get the impression. I don't know. Don't know the man. I get the impression he doesn't even bother with the comments once he posts his material. And who can blame him? I, I, I'm heading in that direction. I feel like I have to do that myself. I'm nowhere near the stature and status of Andrew Sullivan. I understand that. But I understand also why he's doing this. Completely. Because once you start, once you start interacting and engaging, and engaging in rhetorical trial by combat, you're sucked into this again. And it, it comes back, I think, to what I was talking about a couple of minutes ago when I first started this, that this gets so distracting. And pretty soon, you're not getting any goddamn thing done. Let alone the ability to concentrate and focus, especially if you have a stack of material like I have sitting in front of you right now. I can't focus and concentrate on this because I'm not doing anything. I'm scrolling, I'm posting, I'm sharing, I'm branding, I'm marketing. It makes sense, and I, 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 I'm trying to find the right word. What am I? I am so annoyed by how easy it is to mindlessly get sucked right back into this. It reminds me of an alcoholic who can't have that first drink because pretty soon it's next thing you know it's 4 a.m. and you're lying in the street puking. Maybe a drug addict. Oh, cigarettes. That's a perfect one. Now I quit smoking for four or five years. I opened that door. Boy, I'm smoking again. And then you have to start the whole damn process over. Again, I, I don't know what this is doing to us. I, I see the results. I think I'm probably a little more mindful, a little more aware of what this stuff does to me than a lot of people. Not everybody. A lot of other people do see it. And we have nice things to talk about, I suppose. But I don't think the vast majority of people are able to see cause and effect, what the cause is, what the source is of anxiety, depression, hopelessness, hating other people, despising other people when they used to like them. That's me, man. I used to like people. <laughs> I did. I still do. When I meet them, when, I, when, I'm, when I'm interacting, I like to talk about hitchhiking as... This thing, this is this thing I did 10 years ago. A lot of new people here that don't know my background, but I took off. I had a radio career once upon a time, got sick of it. It got sick of me. A few months later, I found myself in a backpack hitchhiking around the country. Sort of a Henry David Thoreau, Chris McCandless, um, somebody else. And I, I thought at that time that this was going to be, I'm going to just vanish. I'm going to go be Jim Bridger up in the mountains someday. I'm going to learn to survivalist. Maybe vanish into Mexico, right? And within three days, I found that I liked the people that I was finding. These organic versions, the real authentic versions of who they were. They were nothing like the people that even in 2008, I was finding on the internet. I wasn't even on Facebook then. But it reminded me that when you sit down and you look at a person one-to-one, -one, look them in the eye, have an organic interaction Interacting with a person the way human beings evolved, the way people are meant to interact and socialize, people 
I can't, I, uh, my, one of my favorite phrases, this was the very first week, and I repeated it repeatedly over the next few years, was where are all the assholes? Where are all these assholes? I'm not finding them. But as soon as I got back, as soon as I went back to Santa Fe, after being on the road, as soon as I got back there and as soon as I started writing, as soon as I started like updating the, the journal or blogging or whatever, and then started following, okay, how many people are reading it? I got to share it. I got to get it out there. And started having, you know, Chris described this, my friend Chris, Friar Chris, travel buddy, described me back in 2008. After coming off the road, he saw the change in me. And he said, Todd, you have cave thinking. You, you get into this cave thinking when you get home because you don't leave the house. You're inside of your, your four walls all the time. And you're not having real interactions like you did when you were out hitchhiking. Having a daily adventure. Literally, a, every day was an adventure out there. And then you get home and you're inside of your, your little den. And your entire life, my entire life, when I wasn't doing this, was dependent upon electronic eyes. And it changed me. It changed me from the person I was over the summer when I was having real interactions with people. I changed when those interactions and those interpretations were only taken through electronic eyes. It made me mad. It made me angry. It made me mean. It made me cynical. Mean. That's a good word for it. Because of the lack of accountability, too. Nobody's standing in front of you. When you, 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 you say something, you go into comments saying, you loser, you're a goddamn sheep. If you say some of these things in real life, you're going to get punched in the face, and you know it. Instinctively, you know not to do that. There's going to be a first-person accountability there. Plus, you're anonymous half the time. Nobody knows who you are. They don't know where you live. They can't come over and punch you in the face. So it makes you a little more bold. You can turn your personality and your psyche up to 11. But other people, on the other end of the connection, whoever is reading it, looking at it, through their electronic eyes, they're being affected the same way. These aren't real interactions. These are not real presentations of who the hell we are as human beings. These are digital avatars. Digitally enhanced and exaggerated avatars. The longer we spend on social media interacting and perceiving these digitally enhanced and exaggerated avatars as reality, the worse it gets. Because you start hating people more, so you're going to turn your avatar up from 11 to maybe 13. And then they're going to see it, and they're going to crank it up maybe to 15. Where the hell does that take you? Nowhere good. I guarantee it. I promise you that. And you know it. A lot of you know this. A lot of you feel it. Have you made the connection between how much time you spend on the internet, how much time you spend perceiving the world through electronic eyes, interpreting human beings, interpreting your neighbor, your fellow countrymen, as these digitally enhanced and exaggerated avatars, have you made the connection between that and how you feel in your own life about yourself in comparison to these sanitized versions of lives we see and how you feel about other people? 
And another thing you got to think about as I pivot toward propaganda is are you sure you're getting their version? Are you sure it's not something just blanded in there to make you think that these folks are a certain way? Happened to me a couple weeks ago. A little piece of disinformation coming from Antifa saying that if you date a white person, you're going to be held accountable. White people bad. You can't date them. I fucking went nuts. Piece of disinformation. Antifa didn't put it out. Somebody else did to make them look bad. Are you sure the same thing is not happening to you? Oh, you're a sophisticated consumer, I'm sure. Are you sure somebody else isn't more sophisticated in putting out their disinformation? We just had an election. That a lot of people think was influenced by that. A lot of people, a lot smarter than you and me, think the same goddamn thing is going to happen next year because people can't tell the difference. People interpret what they see with these electronic eyes as reality. And how easy is it, once you do that, to inseminate somebody with propaganda? These people are so terrible. Oh, but look at us. We're so awesome. Ooh, how hard is that to do? Have you thought about what these <laughs> spins of choice and these exaggerations are doing to your perceptions and how you see people? That's a trick, man. If you can, make, if you can demonize these guys, it's really easy to make these guys over here laughing in the corner <sighs> look better. So if you have a binary choice like we do in this damn country, well, those people suck. Guess I'll, guess I'll hang out with these guys. Or you just check the fuck out like we talked about with uh, Chris and Rich last week. Oh, they're both, uh, okay. Well, then you're a non-entity. Then you're a political non-entity. You don't matter. You may as well commit suicide politically and socially. As the people who are still engaged and still active are going to be the ones that decide where you go. It's an option. You can do it, and I understand it. Believe me, <laughs> once or twice a week, I'm right there with you. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to pay attention. <laughs> I'm going nuts. I'm collecting all this material at all points in the same direction, and I don't know how to do it. I should just talk baseball. Yeah. Tried that. Didn't work. Have you thought about it? Have you thought about where that's taking your mind and taking us collectively? It's disturbing. We are cyberspace monkeys. But we're not alone in the little capsule floating around cyberspace. We're packed together. That's the difference here. That's where my little metaphor, my cyberspace monkey metaphor, breaks down. Because the space monkeys, back in the 50s and 60s, they went up in the capsule alone. They, the effects were only on them. We'd basically been shoved in a cultural double wide and throw it up there and said, good luck. Hope it works out. This is fun. Woo. By the way, we didn't put any radiation shielding on the ship. It's something to think about. I encourage you to think about this. If you're listening to this podcast and you're subscribed and you're listening on a regular basis, you're going to think of be thinking about it a lot because that's pretty much where I'm going to be going. Keep saying this. I, I, I've been saying for a month I'm going to get to this propaganda stuff. But there's so much more to it. Narratives. You know, cohesive narratives. How that's required. I talked about stories earlier. 
We all have our little stories that we tell each other, even if it's not 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 stories uh, in a sort of a depressive nature, you know, creating these morbid, obsessive, uh, obsessively morbid thoughts, causing depression, anxiety, stuff like that. We all have stories of our lives that we tell each other. You have one in your head. You have one about the entire scope of your existence in your life. Is it going where you want to? How's it going to end? How will the last chapter read? How will this chapter I'm living? We all do that to some degree. Stories are, are a part of us. From the very beginning, from the earliest moments that we learned to talk, we told stories. That's why movies and television and dramas and books, fairy tales, the Bible, the Quran, Bhagavad Gita, they're all stories, they're all parables, because we like stories. They help us understand things. And to pivot, propaganda is a story. It's a story we can tell ourselves that allows us to be manipulated one way or another. It's fiction, most of the time. I would say all of the time, actually. Because it's designed to manufacture opinion. It has to be fictionalized to some degree via exaggeration, demonization, something. It's not cold, hard fact, I can tell you that. It is fiction to some degree. Now, there may be elements of fact, truth, nonfiction incorporated in it. And this thing up here that I was going to use, Joseph Goebbels said the best propaganda had elements of truth. It, was, it had truth in it. Now, <laughs> Goebbels, <laughs> you have to take his definition of truth with a grain of salt. Yeah, this is Hitler's propaganda guy, number two in the Reich, wound up, you know, giving cyanide to his wife and five kids as the Russians came beating on the door in Berlin one day. His definition of truth, yeah, well, whatever, Yosef. But that does make sense, because if you can incorporate fact into it, it gives the mind, it gives the elephant something to sniff and chew on that'll help the rationalization process, the post hoc rationalization process, be executed a little bit easier. Yeah, narratives are a big deal. Stories are a big deal. Our country has one. Land of the free, home of the brave. Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Freedom. Send us your immigrants once upon a time. <laughs> right? Well, that has been thrown into turmoil. That's been ripped up. It's being ripped up. It's being challenged. Now there's another narrative, another story coming in. The socialist story, the utopia story, the social justice, the, the external God of justice story. And what happens to the society that's built on one narrative, built on one story? Bullshit or not, doesn't matter. It's cohesive. It's kept us together. It, it bound us together. But what happens when that's ripped up? When an interloper comes in and tries to replace the established story with a new one? What happens? Conflict. What happens when the conflict is being fought by two armies who are equally manned? Equal arms. What happens? We're finding out right now. This is the problem with polarization. The problem with polarization, if you think about the term polarized, two poles, A and B, positive, negative. I'll let you determine for yourselves which side is positive and which side is negative, but there's only two. 
Parliamentary systems have multiple ones. If you don't want to be a Republican or a Democrat, if we had a parliamentary system, you could be a Green. I guess you'd still be a Green, but you're going to be obsolete. You could just say you're a Green. I am a Stein voter. Okay, great. But in the parliamentary system, more people have representation in government. There are more people to vote for, and it's not dependent upon winning an entire election. You can have different representatives from different parties representing the entire body politic. But we don't have that. We have this polarizing binary system of competing stories now. Competing national stories, national narratives, the big story, the big picture, at each other's throats. One is trying to uproot and burn the other one. The one that's been in place for a few hundred years. The one that has kept us bound together as a society. Imperfectly, fine. Do I even need to say that at this point? It's not perfect. Well, no shit, it's not perfect. No place is fucking perfect. There's neo-Nazis prancing around in socialist Germany. You know, your socialist utopia of Europe, the European Union's not doing so hot. Have you noticed? No society is perfect. None. There is going to be imperfections. There's going to be hypocrisies, inconsistencies. Because people are hypocrites. They're inconsistent. <laughs> We're not perfect human beings. Even you, Moonbeam. Even you. You're, you're highly flawed. You're just as flawed as any of us. Despite your moral certitude, your moral certainty, the idea that the God of social justice is on your side, cue up, Dylan. None of us are perfect. Therefore, society is never going to be perfect. You do the best you can. You move forward and you progress. You make it a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better. And sometimes, when you have a diverse society of different thinking people, people with different cultural, racial backgrounds, change is slow. We're not all pulling in the same direction here. Not like a lot of countries are. We are diverse. We're huge. Do you know how many countries we really are? At our core. Have you ever thought about that? I've talked about this before. I've lived in the Northeast. I've lived down South. I've lived in the Southwest. Around the Midwest. The only place I haven't lived is the Pacific Northwest. And I've been up there quite a bit. I've traveled around there quite a bit. We are different countries. Even even the upper Midwest, like around Montana, the Dakotas, is a different country than Kansas and Nebraska. Texas. Kidding me? We're like five or six different nations packed together onto this continent, bound by a constitution. It's in our blood. It's in our national DNA. We're supposed to be a confederation of independent states. That's how the founding was sort of, I don't know, built, at least planned. States' rights, that's where that comes from. So yeah, that's going to cause issues. That's going to cause things to move slowly because you can't get a consensus. Different people want different things, so things stagnate. Things move slowly. You can't change that without browbeating somebody or putting them into chains and dragging them along with you. Well, we've done really well considering how diverse and how flawed our past is. The original sin of slavery, things like that, the Indians. We've done okay. Not perfect. Maybe it doesn't move quickly enough for a lot of us, but we've done okay. You think back 50 years. Think about the 1950s. The 1930s, even the 60s, 
and how things have progressed and gotten incrementally better for a lot of people, for most of us, in the last 50, 60, 70 years. We've done okay. But now, all of a sudden, we've got this internal ideological narrative revolution taking place. Because for a lot of us, for a lot of people, it's just not quick enough. And it's not perfect enough. We want this now. Okay. Well, you're going to have to fight for it. Because these folks over here don't. They might in 10 years. But you don't have the patience to wait 10 years. You need your justice now. (sighs) There's this thing in psychology. Back in my drinking days, I, I was I was sent off to a state-ordered uh, Alcoholics Anonymous thing. Actually did me more harm than good. Great story there. I won't bother with it. The shrink, though, told me that, uh, what, was the, what was the phrase he used? It was uh, delaying gratification. Todd, you have to learn how to delay gratification. What the hell does that mean? Screw you, that just sounds gay. What he was saying was, you got to work for things. You got to wait. You got to be patient. Because if you, if you lurch and act too quickly, too rashly, you do things that may be self destructive, maybe not in your best interest. Work toward it, set a goal, try to get there. Don't lurch. Don't act impulsively or rashly without thinking about the consequences. Stuff like that. Just what I was talking about a minute ago reminds me of this instant gratification demand that the social justice warriors have. That this country isn't good enough right now. I want it now. Okay. You can do what you want. Think what you want. Act how you want. You can vote how you want. You can do anything you want. This is a free country. You better think about the consequences, though. There's this line... In the Jefferson book, Thomas Jefferson was talking about back, I guess, uh, what was it? Before the Revolution, he was in the House of Burgess in Virginia. And he was an anti-slavery guy. He owned slaves, the economy, blah, 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 no currency. You couldn't live in uh, pre-Revolution America without currency. You had to have a system. There had to be an economic system in place, bartering, free labor, that was put in place long before Jefferson was born. That's how the economy was put together. He owned slaves. He needed them. But he also was an abolitionist. He wanted slavery gone. He knew what it was. He knew it was an abomination. He petitioned the king and parliament to get rid of it. They wouldn't do it. Then he went and... um, I think he... I'm trying to remember the details on this, but he put forth something, I think, in the House of Burgess to outlaw slavery, and it was voted down. And the line in the book was that Jefferson was too far ahead of the flock. He was on the right side of history, but he acted too quickly. He moved too far ahead of the flock and lost his effectiveness because of it, or at least lost the battle because he was not where the rest of the people were. Patience. Progress. Setting a long-term goal. Working hard to get there, but not demanding that everybody immediately changes and thinks exactly the way you do. Because if you do that, that's the boomerang effect. 
That's going to trigger the backfire, the boomerang. You know, they're going to dig the fuck in. They will. I mean, do you feel drawn toward a Trump supporter? My progressive friend, whenever you hear him talk about Donald Trump, or do you dig in a little deeper? I know it's a radical blasphemous thought here. Try it. Do you think you have the same effect on them when you try to yank the chain just a little bit too hard? Maybe. Could be. Ah, but here comes that moral certitude again, huh? Oh, we're right, goddammit. We're going to do it because we're right. The God of social justice is on our side. Do it now, heathen. It's not going to work well for you. I promise you. You are not going to get the effect you're looking for. Had a few cases of this come up this week. Just with me, I support gay rights. Gay marriage, all of that. I, I have had several gay friends. My girlfriend and I lived with a gay couple for a year. All right? I'm not homophobic. I don't hate gay people at all. I did learn through that experience that gay people can be just as big a cunts as straight people. <laughs> the little PR campaign you get for the gays. They're people first, gays second. People can be assholes. People can be cunts. And that includes a gay guy or a gay girl. Sorry. People first, gays second. But I saw this thing this week. Uh, I, I think it had something to do with uh, Pride Month. It was an article somewhere. I think it was in one of the psychology uh, publications online. Uh, talking about and whining about how, uh, yeah, whining, how trans people are being excluded from the dating scene. And why that was. Why are trans people being excluded from the mainstream dating scene? Really? Really? I posted something on my Facebook page from Andrew Dice Clay. You take a chick home and you're holding the tree trunk. Oh, this isn't hard. Straight guys do not want to date a man whose little gender voice in their head tells them they're a woman. <laughs> that ain't going to happen. Doesn't matter how good the surgery is, how much uh, estrogen you're taking. Doesn't matter how good that tuck is, they're not going to want to date you. They're not going to want to fuck you. That's just simply the way it is. Not a condemnation of you. It's just a, a statement on how people are. If you're straight, you're not going to want to date a guy who is a guy, even if they say they're a girl. I mean, if you can't understand that, you're, you're lost, man. You're lost in your own sea of rhetorical fuckery. And what really got me about that article was, I don't have it in front of me, I don't think. Sorry. It was a piece that I was thinking about doing before I got down this road. But it was uh, talking about how, how do we fix this? How do we get included into the, the mainstream dating scene? We need a propaganda campaign. Of course, it wasn't worded that way. Media coverage and stuff like that. We need trans people on TV. It's a propaganda campaign. It could have been succinctly put this way. We need a wider and more intense propaganda campaign. And we need to force people to be around us. Because once they see us and once they get to know us, then they'll love us. Then they'll want to fuck us. <clears throat> Sorry. Date us. No, no, no. 
I don't think that's going to work out the way, quite the way you want that to go. Honestly, I'm glad this month is almost over with because I am entirely sick and fucking tired of hearing who you're fucking and who you want to fuck, who you want to date. This is the best piece of equality I can give you. Whether you're straight, whether you're gay, trans, I don't care if you're fucking a tree trunk. I don't care. I really don't care who you're banging or why. I don't. Any of you. Have you ever heard me ask? Gee, I'd really like to hear who all you people are fucking. Who do you like to fuck? Nobody gives a shit. Only you give a shit. Only the media gives a shit. Only the media and these advertising companies, these corporations, they give a shit because they can pander to you this month. <laughs> Have you noticed that? Come on, gay people, give us your money. We like you. Come on, pay us. Yeah. Most people I know don't give two fucks about who you're banging. It's as simple as that. It seems a little odd. And we got to hear about who you're fucking all the fucking time. Most people really do not give a goddamn until you start waving your hairy ass in their face and saying, oh, I put a dick in there. Then people start to give a shit. Do you want me to walk up and throw my dick in your face, ladies? Ooh, that's been in some pussy you'd really like. How would that go for you lesbians? Would, that, would you enjoy that? Maybe that's what I'll do next time I go to Chicago. <laughs> Why are you oppressing me? You heterophobe. Most people just don't give a shit. And I think you're misinterpreting just don't give a shit with oppression. You want to be treated equally? Act normally. It's as simple as that. You want to make a freak out of yourself. You want to make a spectacle out of yourself. Out of defiance, whatever, narcissism, however you want to look at it. It's fine. You can do that, but expect people to react that way. We should take a trip. Some of you gay folks, you gay allies, we should take a trip down to Tupelo, Mississippi. And I, I, I'll just sit here and I'll sit in the back seat. We'll drive around Tupelo, maybe down to Jackson. We can take a little trip around Macomb. My old stomping grounds, Tylertown after Katrina. We can head over to Alabama or Georgia too. Maybe just do like a tour of the Deep South, right? I'll just sit in the back and watch how you react to how people look. Or how people behave in public. And like, God, look at that monster truck. You're such a man. How people present themselves. It has an effect on people. I don't really care if you have your goddamn parades. But at some point, if you want to be part of the culture and not be excluded as sort of a fringe element of the culture, you have to act like you're part of the goddamn culture and not exclude yourself from it. Now prop yourself up on some goddamn pedestal. Love me because I'm gay. You gotta love me. No, I don't. I don't. I don't have to love a goddamn thing about you. I just gotta let, I just gotta accept you for what you are. I don't have to like you at all. No law at all. Spiritual, cosmic, or any other kind that says, I have to like you. Not one. All I have to do is let you be you. But if you make yourself distasteful, obnoxious, annoying, <laughs> and then 
try to say I'm homophobic because I just can't stand you. You can go fuck yourself really hard. I know where you can get a nice big black dildo. Lion's Den, right up here on I-94. Actually, there's a couple of them. I have to ask my friend Chad and Brian about that. But yeah, that, that's where you can go to fuck yourself. If you think that finding obnoxious people distasteful is homophobic. This ties into something that uh, Rich had mentioned last week, and I wish that I had picked up on it when we were having the conversation because he was having a kind of chat with a pro-abortion, a pro-choice woman <laughs> who was glad, apparently, that Rich is pro-choice, but he wasn't pro-choice for the right reasons. And it reminded me, as I went back and listened to it, of something that I had seen on Twitter a couple of weeks ago. It was uh, from a gay ally, <laughs> right? And he was, he started off the post by open, he opened it up, opened the door by saying, oh, well, gay rights have come a long way. But that was just sort of a Trojan horse to take the dialogue or his hmm, proclamation to the, well, people still don't like gay people enough. Take it down that track. You know what I mean? Like people, there are still so many people that just don't like gay people. They don't accept gay people. They just don't think the right way. And that's where we're going to run into a problem, you and I, my ally friends. <laughs> because when you start walking down that road of acceptable thought, acceptable belief, and start trying to legislate, pressure, or shame people in to thinking a certain way, you're on the wrong side of something. I got news for you. There are people in this country, in this world, who are never going to like gay people. They're never going to understand homosexuality. They're never going to embrace it. Ever. And you know what? Brace yourself, Moonbeam. Brace yourself. This is going to hurt. This is going to sting. They don't have to. They have every right to hold any opinion they want on the matter. You are not in a position to dictate that to anyone. You're not. You're going to have to deal with it. The only thing they're required to do is not discriminate against them. They don't have to like it. They don't have to embrace it. And this goes for race as well, I'm sorry to tell you. Racism is endemic in the human species. It really, it's part of tribalism. Some people are not ever going to like people of different races. It's not limited to white people. Sorry. I've seen this firsthand. Traveling around Latin America. Where the mestizos don't like the indigenous people. Or vice versa. I've seen it. I've witnessed it. I've seen hey, gringo go home, gringo get out of here, gringo. I experienced that living in the Southwest. Oh, but you can't, can't be racist. Fuck you. God, that is so stupid. It's, it's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. And you're never going to be able to treat the problem effectively, culturally or socially, until you can actually understand what the fucking problem is. It's in the human race. It's in the, it's in the DNA. Tribalism. Congregating with your own kind. And again, you're never going to be able to treat that effectively until you understand it. You're never going to be able to protect people from discrimination until you understand what the source is. And I'm telling you, 
If you're going to run down that road and start shaming people for their thoughts, you're not on the right side of this. I promise you, you are not in a position to tell people how they should think and what they should believe. When it moves beyond the realm of actual discrimination, actually acting out, lashing out against somebody, either uh, economically, something down that line, hate crimes, fine, I'm with you. But when you start moving into the realm of thought control, you and I have a problem, and that's exactly where you're at. Oh, how, you ask? A sinner comes before you. She will cast aside all pride and present herself as the gods made her to you, shorn of secrets, naked to make her walk of atonement. Shame. 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 I went to find that uh, clip on the internet. I'm going to use it repeatedly. Probably going to be a hotkey at some point, a shorter version of it anyway. But it dawned on me that that is a perfect, perfect metaphor for what social media and Twitter has become. Shame. 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 Find something in somebody's past. Somebody says something distasteful or something you disagree with now, you dig back 10 years, 15 years. You find something they wrote when they were a teenager. And you shame them. You send them on their walk of atonement, their walk through the self-righteous streets of social media. But there is no path to atonement. At the end of that walk is a burning stake. You've been canceled. You're done. You need to get on the right side of this, social justice warriors. You are perilously close to crossing a line that you probably shouldn't. (sighs) So there we go. Another podcast in the books. No script today. I didn't know where the hell that was going when I sat down. (laughs) I got frustrated with putting all this stuff together, trying to put it all into like this flowing piece. Figured I'd sit down and uh, wing it. Somehow I got pretty close to an hour. (laughs) We'll get back to regular programming, I think. Coming up next, I've got this social media propaganda stuff. Waiting. I'm going to spend the rest of tonight, before Bill Maher anyway, putting it together. By the way, Bill, thanks for, uh, glad you're listening. Thanks for uh, mining my material for me. No, I don't think Bill Maher is stealing my stuff, but it sure as hell sounds like it some ways. Anyway, this has been the Escaping the Cave podcast. I'm on the ChristopherMedia.net network. Also, EscapingTheCave.com is the website. Please go check it out. Pass it along to your uh, friends who might be interested. You are my marketing team. Once again, please and thank you. 
And on that note, we're going to wrap things up. Till next time, so long.